Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The White House is sending a message to the American people that they're looking for solutions to high gas prices. We'll tell you what actions the president says he's considering. This as mixed messages linger over Biden's trip to the Middle East. Another important decision looms large. Will the U.S. lift tariffs on China? President Biden says he'll speak with China's Xi Jinping while his own cabinet members continue to show differences of opinion. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis doubled down on the state's recommendation against mRNA COVID-19 vaccines for babies. We are not going to have any programs where we're trying to jab six-month-old babies with mRNA. That's just the reality. Two former Phi Gamma Delta fraternity members have been indicted for their involvement in an incident that left a freshman pledge with brain damage. Disney and Pixar's animation film Lightyear underperforms on its opening weekend. The disappointing box office comes after the movie stirred up controversy over its LGBT content. Gas prices have dropped a few cents, but still linger at a record highs. The president today says he's weighing a few options to help Americans pay for gas. This as the White House is smoothing out a mixed message over whether President Biden will meet with Saudi Crown Prince to talk about oil production. NTD's Melina Weiskup has more. The national average price for gas trickled down a few cents over the weekend, but it's unclear if this trend will continue as the oil market jumps around. President Biden today continuing to point fingers at oil refinery companies. They're going to move to alternative energy, renewable energy, and they don't want to get stuck. Well, guess what? There's a logical transition to be made. And I want an explanation from them as to why they aren't refining more oil. His comments come after strong pushback from the oil industry last week that says it's the White House's policies that are holding up production. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm is meeting with big oil executives this week to try and work through these issues. In addition, Granholm says that Biden continues to ask for increased production at home and overseas, which she says is on the docket for discussion when Biden goes to the Middle East next month. I think he will meet with the Saudi Crown Prince. He has asked for all suppliers around the globe to increase production. This message appears to be at odds with what President Biden told reporters just three days ago. I'm not going to meet with MBS. I'm going to an international meeting. Now the White House is working to smooth out the mixed messaging. A national security spokesperson clarified to CNN, quote, As we've said, there will be a bilateral meeting with King Solomon and his team. That meeting will include the crown prince and other Saudi officials. As for more immediate solutions, President Biden says the White House is looking at a gas rebate card to help Americans pay for gas. That's part of what we consider. That's part of the whole operation. Alongside a rebate card, Biden says they're also looking to freeze a tax on gas, called a gas tax holiday. The president hopes to have a final decision on this by the end of the week. A federal gas tax holiday was proposed in Congress, and that idea was floating around, but congressional leadership tossed it out just two months ago. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, alongside Senate Leader Chuck Schumer, said that this solution was not sustainable since it has to draw funding from other infrastructure projects. But with this latest statement from the president indicating that this is a solution that the White House is looking at and they hope to make a decision on by the end of this week, it may revive discussions in Congress around this federal gas tax holiday. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. And President Biden says he'll be talking to Chinese leader Xi. The news coming as the administration weighs lifting tariffs on China. How effective might this be in fighting inflation? And what is Biden saying about recession concerns? President Biden telling reporters on Sunday that he's planning to talk with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. Yes, I'm going to be talking to him. How soon will President I will be. While declining to say when the talks would happen, Biden said he's considering lifting tariffs on Chinese goods. Have you made up your mind on China tariffs, sir? Uh, we're in the process of doing that. You're, you're, you're lifting the tariffs? I, we're in the process of making up my mind. 
Biden's comments come as the administration struggles to tackle record high inflation. Speaking Sunday on ABC, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen called for easing Trump-era tariffs on China to lower prices in the U.S. Um, we all recognize that China engages in a range of unfair trade practices that it's important to address. But uh, the tariffs we inherited, um, some serves no strategic purpose and raise costs to consumers. But not everyone in Biden's cabinet agrees. U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai has advocated for keeping the tariffs, saying last month that tariffs are just one of many tools to fight inflation. Tariffs are a tool in the economic policy toolbox. Uh, there are a lot of other tools at our disposal, and all tools are on the table as we think about our short-term and our medium and long-term needs. Former President Trump imposed up to 25 percent tariffs on billions of dollars of Chinese goods. It was to combat the Chinese regime's unfair trade practices. Meanwhile, soaring inflation is fueling recession concerns. Former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers says it's coming. We are likely to have a recession. I think we have overheated uh, the economy and gotten some bad luck. And when the pendulum swings too far one way, it tends to swing back uh, the other way. But the administration disagrees, with Biden on Monday brushing off Summers' warning. I was uh, talking to Larry Summers this morning, and uh, there's nothing inevitable about a recession. Americans will hear more about inflation and the administration's economic policies this week, as both Catherine Tai and Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell are set to testify before Congress in the next few days. And in health news, as the CDC recommends COVID-19 vaccines for babies as young as six months old, the state of Florida does not. Although Governor Ron DeSantis said parents will still be able to get the vaccine for their children if they so choose. And TD's Jason Perry has that story. Florida is the only state that hasn't ordered COVID-19 vaccines for babies over six months old. Governor Ron DeSantis commented on the mainstream media coverage of the Sunshine State's decision. They came out with an article saying the state of Florida has not ordered, its Department of Health has not ordered mRNA jabs for the babies. Yes, we didn't. We recommend against it. We are not going to have any programs where we're trying to jab six-month-old babies with mRNA. That's just the reality. Although the Florida Department of Health does not recommend the vaccines for babies, DeSantis says that parents are free to do what they think is best for their children. Quite frankly, if someone wants to make a different decision, I would just caution people, look at the actual data in the clinical trial. It is the weakest possible data that you could possibly uh, see. Very small number of people, uh, what the recommendation is from them doesn't even track the outcomes. On June 17th, the Food and Drug Administration authorized emergency use of the Moderna and Pfizer COVID-19 vaccines for children as young as six months. Jason Perry, NTD News. A grand jury indicted two former members of the Phi Gamma Delta fraternity for felony hazing. The campus chapter has been removed and 13 students were sanctioned. This is footage of the alleged incident. Last fall at the University of Missouri, Ryan Delante and Thomas Schultz were charged with life endangerment and supplying liquor to a minor for their involvement in an alcohol poisoning incident. They required 19-year-old Danny Santulli to consume a family-sized bottle of vodka. Santulli drank three-fourths of the bottle and currently suffers with severe brain damage. Warrants have been issued for Delante and Schultz's arrest. We reached out to Phi Gamma Delta fraternity, but did not hear back before broadcast time. Disney and Pixar Studios' new film, Lightyear, isn't performing as well as analysts had expected. The film opened in U.S. movie theaters over the weekend with just $51 million in ticket sales. That's about $20 million below projections. Here are the details. Internationally, Lightyear earned over $34 million in ticket sales. Movie analysts had projected the movie to bring in 70 to $85 million on opening weekend in the U.S. alone. That's because the last two Toy Story movies both opened with over $100 million. 
Part of the reason for the disappointing performance may have been the competition with Jurassic World Dominion and Top Gun Maverick. And Disney has been releasing Pixar movies directly on its streaming service, Disney Plus, since the pandemic. Movie analysts also speculate that that may have had an impact on the box office. Lightyear has gathered controversy for including a same-sex couple and a kiss scene between two female characters. At least 13 Muslim-majority nations have banned the movie from showing due to its LGBT content. These countries include the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia and Malaysia. And according to an April survey by the Trafalgar Group, the majority of Americans also aren't happy with Disney focusing on content that exposes young children to sexual ideas. 68% said they are less likely to do business with Disney because of it. Disney has also faced criticism for replacing Tim Allen as the voice actor of Buzz Lightyear with Chris Evans. Allen is a conservative and a Trump supporter. There are concerns that his political views may be behind the move. To infinity. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And moving on to something that you might have on your cell phone. Is your data safe from China? One expert says if you use Chinese-made apps, you might already be a target of the Chinese regime's hybrid warfare. The Chinese video-sharing app TikTok says its U.S. users' data is now safe from prying eyes in China after BuzzFeed News reported leaked audio from TikTok's internal meetings that showed China-based employees had repeatedly accessed non-public data about U.S. TikTok users. I spoke with Casey Fleming, CEO of the intelligence and security strategy firm Black Ops Partners, to understand more about TikTok's latest claims. Casey, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. A report from BuzzFeed says it reviewed leaked audio suggesting that U.S. user data has been repeatedly accessed from China. In your view, what is the danger here to the average American user and to America as a whole? Uh, the first thing I'd like everybody to understand is uh, technology from China, you must understand and you must assume that technology from China is weaponized against the United States. So this personal information that's on these, uh, on these smartphones through any type of app that is, is tracking data can be used against you and your values and so on in a thing called hybrid warfare. All the information on your smartphone that's currently on your smartphone, passwords, accounts, banking accounts, tracking everywhere you've been, um, what time you woke up this morning, what apps you used, how long you're on the apps, your emails, your texts, your photographs, the geolocation on your photographs, all those things are used against you um, in, uh, in what, is, what is termed hybrid warfare. And how does that play out in practice? Well, in practice, they, what, what hybrid warfare is, it's weakening the United States from many, many different angles, not just kinetic or conventional warfare, but it's weakening the United States from many, many different angles. So these things, uh, they, they, they track information. Number one is espionage. Espionage as far as intellectual property, uh, through emails, texts, locations, so on, intellectual property, to steal that intellectual property at virtually no cost. And then to use that to build their economy uh, based on our research and development. And then secondly, all the personal information is used to uh, fill files on every American, every Canadian, every Australian, every European. Um, they have files on each one as what they consider their enemy. Their number one enemy is the United States and the U.S. citizens. TikTok has previously denied allegations of sharing user data with the Chinese regime and says it would never do that, even if it was asked to. You've described this kind of claim from TikTok in the past as propaganda and gaslighting. Could you tell us more about that? That's part of the Chinese communist uh, model. It's to have plausible deniability, and it's all about gaslighting and, and creating their own narrative. So um, once again, every American, everyone in the free world must assume that any and all technology from China is directly driven by the Chinese Communist Party and controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. And you must assume that all technology from China is weaponized against you. That's TikTok apps, that's other Chinese apps, that's Chinese phones, Chinese printers, chi uh, Chinese parts and printers, uh, charging cables, uh, automobiles, parts and automobiles, you name it, coffee makers, so on. 
um, you have to understand that that it's a communist regime and they do not follow our values and our goals and they certainly denounce uh, international rules and the international order that has been set up over the past 75 years. They want to completely unseat that and replace that with Chinese communism. Do you think the federal government needs to take some kind of action against TikTok in light of the new report? 100 percent. Absolutely. Just like they did with ZTE and other companies, uh, 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 Hikvision, uh, the, you know, you have to. It, it's it's called foreign influence, is what it is, and they they are buying lots of property through U.S. farmlands and cities and so on. The, this is all foreign influence that must be shut down because this is a pre-war. It's actually not a pre-war situation. It's pre-kinetic war situation, a pre-conventional war situation. But this is hybrid warfare that is all leading up to conventional warfare. And so what people ask me is, Casey, what's it really like? Tell me the truth. I say, well, this is World War II all over again, but this time it's at the speed of technology and at the stealth of hybrid warfare. And, and if you think the Cold War, Cold War was, was uh, scary, or if you think the Cold War was an issue, put a thousand X on it, and then now you're, you're in, the, in the current environment. TikTok said on Friday its user data would be routed by default to an Oracle cloud in the U.S., but there are still concerns that China could access the information. What's your take on this? Assume that before it's routed to the Oracle cloud, it's routed through Chinese communist servers. Assume it. Um, TikTok was developed in China with Chinese developers. It's controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. Chinese Americans and Chinese Brits and Chinese Canadians and Chinese Australians are also controlled by the Chinese Communist Party um, with their family relationships back in China. Again, assume that all technology from China is weaponized against the free world and our quality of life. Casey Fleming, CEO of Black Ops Partners, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. We reached out to TikTok when asked. A company spokesperson did not deny BuzzFeed's allegations that U.S. users' data had been repeatedly accessed from China and that there could be backdoor access to that data in almost all the platform's tools. However, the spokesperson did say the company has brought in security experts and created an in-house department focused on U.S. data security. And coming up, with prices on the rise across the board, how are different industries faring? We'll take a look at which ones seem recession-proof and which are struggling. Two lawmakers recently introduced a resolution promoting fatherhood. NTD spoke with a pastor who supports the bill to get his take on it. Coming up on NTD News. Navigating a world of economic madness, you need to have the right guide. What did today's decisions mean for your tomorrow? We ask why, what's the alternative? Uncover the deeper reasons and the hidden influences and highlight the real opportunities for profit. At Entity Business, we connect the dots for you. Good evening. With inflation at a 40-year high, we take a closer look at how different industries are doing in this environment. Some of them seem recession-proof, while others are struggling. NTD Sean Marshall has more. Our high inflation environment is treating different businesses in different ways. Industries that involve giving people experiences are holding up. For example, movies are doing well. With Top Gun and Jurassic World Dominion pulling in large box office numbers, the movie industry has historically performed pretty well during recessions. Some even call it recession-proof, a reputation it's carried since the Great Depression. Luxury brands and beauty products are also holding up, with wealthier people shrugging off high prices. Brands like Macy's, Chanel, and Gucci are staying strong. An accounting firm PwC has seen demand growth in the hotel industry, with revenue per available room expected to exceed 2019 levels because of strong leisure and business travel, but there are problems elsewhere. Anywhere from 60, 65,000 to a couple of hotels may end up at 85, 90,000 a year, additional interest expense payments 
because of the of the rate hike. Jamal Patel is president of Q Hotels, which owns, develops, and manages hotels in Louisiana and Texas. Patel says the hotel industry is getting hit with high fixed costs. This is going to be a significant blow to our bottom line. This is uh, not on top of the 300% um, increase that we saw on the building uh, in, uh, uh, insurance uh, that, that, that is in South Louisiana has just gone up drastically. Uh, the hourly wages uh, at our hotels have increased up to 75-80%. Also not doing so well, real estate, with rising rates and decreasing demand for mortgages. At a 0.3% sales drop in retail in May. In comparison to the previous month and recent data show, restaurant traffic has dropped to the lowest point of the year. Consumers, you know, have an option, right? Either I fill up the gas tank or I go eat. Wing Lam is the owner of Wahoo's Fish Taco, which has around 60 locations in the United States and Japan. Wing says, So you did about 300 lunches, you know, normally. You might be doing about 150 to date, if you're lucky. Uh, because of lack of office workers, you're down about 20 to 40% easily. And then, you know, add inflation, gas, you're down about 50%. The cost of eating out rose by 0.7% in May in comparison with the preceding month. Sean Marshall, NTD News. The U.S. government may take action against airlines on consumers' behalf. That's amid numerous flight cancellations in recent weeks, including more than 2,000 on June 18th and 19th. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg said his office would first determine how airlines are handling increased travel associated with the 4th of July. That's before the federal government would take any action. According to data from FlightAware, about 2,700 flights were canceled on Memorial Day weekend. And about 700 U.S. flights were scrapped early on June 19th, after about 1,300 flights were canceled a day earlier. A letter posted by Delta Pilots says they were flying a record amount of overtime um, hours amid cancellations. Airlines have acknowledged staffing shortages as the industry came back faster than expected from pandemic lows. They're scrambling to hire pilots and other workers. That's to replace employees they had encouraged to quit after the pandemic hit, as well as others they fired for not complying with vaccine mandates. Some airline unions say there's no pilot shortage and that airlines are merely trying to extract more money from consumers. A sharp rebound in air travel from the pandemic will allow global airlines to narrow losses this year. An industry body says airlines could possibly even claw their way back to a profit in 2023. And TD's Andrew Thomas has the details. The International Air Transport Association, or IATA, upgraded widely watched forecasts on Monday. Global airlines are now expected to post a $9.7 billion loss in 2022. The 2022 forecast is nearly $2 billion better than an earlier expectation of an $11.6 billion loss. I think the environment is better than we had expected. And while we have upgraded it, you know, we're just uh, forecasting lower losses. Uh, but that's a step in the right direction. Last year's losses have also been revised to $42 billion, an improvement from an earlier forecast of $52 billion. I think it gives you, you know, a better feel for how strong the demand is coming back, how well airlines have managed other aspects of their cost base, and you know, the, the speed at which the recovery is taking place. But airlines meeting in Qatar have been warned high oil prices and inflation risk denting the fragile recovery. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And now to families. Two lawmakers introduced a resolution to recognize the importance of fatherhood. NTD's Jason Perry spoke with a pastor to get his perspective on the resolution. Uh, there, there are ways that the government has actually incentivized a single parent home. Mark Little is the pastor of No Longer Bound, an abortion and miscarriage recovery ministry. He's also the executive director of Cure America Action, which advocates for conservative principles based on Christianity, capitalism, and the Constitution. We see young men uh, and old men in jail. We see men uh, not pursuing uh, higher uh, uh, education degrees. We, we, we see all manner of, of dysfunction in our society. And the root of it is fatherlessness. 
A Heritage Foundation report says teens raised in fatherless homes are significantly more likely to engage in criminal activity, abuse alcohol and drugs, and become a teen parent. The report, entitled The Moynihan Report 50 Years Later, was published in March 2015. Congressman Burgess Owens and Byron Donalds addressed fatherlessness by introducing a resolution that recognizes misaligned incentives in the structure of federal welfare programs and the barriers they create in allowing fathers to return home to their spouse and children. You might remember uh, coming out of the, uh, uh, well, really going into uh, the New Deal, uh, Hoover and then on to Roosevelt. Uh, we, we had checks being given uh, to moms with kids and and you know some of our sitcoms back in the day would show mothers when when the knock came on the door uh, they would show the mothers hiding their 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 husbands or their boyfriends uh, you couldn't have a man in the home that was a policy government policy that that promoted uh, uh, the breakdown of the nuclear family one of the examples given by the Heritage Foundation is if a single mother who earns $20,000 per year marries a man who earns the same amount, the couple will typically lose about $12,000 a year in welfare benefits. In effect, the welfare system makes it economically irrational for most low-income couples to marry. That report, entitled How Welfare Undermines Marriage, was published in November of 2014. According to the Annie E. Casey Foundation, approximately 64% of African-American children live in single-parent homes as of 2019. Jason Perry, NTD News. Juneteenth is a federal holiday commemorating an important date in American history. The event was celebrated Saturday in its birthplace of Galveston, Texas. That's where Union General Gordon Granger traveled with a message for the 250,000 slaves in Texas the Civil War was over and slavery had ended. The date was June 19, 1865, and it's now celebrated as the end of slavery in the United States. Juneteenth kicked off in Galveston, Texas on Saturday, commemorating the end of the legal enslavement of black Americans nearly 160 years ago. During the event at Ashton Villa, the former headquarters for Galveston's Confederate Army, Alana Edwards Holloway, praised the efforts of her father, former state representative Al Edwards. The Houston legislator helped make Juneteenth a statewide holiday in 1980. Last year, Biden signed into law a bill that made Juneteenth a federal holiday. A Juneteenth parade saw community members throwing candy and gifts to the crowds. Grady Green traveled from Atlanta to embrace the holiday and promote unity. It's for the people. It's for the people. Uh, we appreciate it that it became a federal holiday so we can celebrate as one people because we are the people and uh, like I said it's a historical moment. Juneteenth became the 11th federally recognized holiday in the United States. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, a Southern California man allegedly responsible for a church shooting has been charged with hate crimes. Authorities have said his actions were politically motivated. And in hockey, Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals is tonight. And surging Colorado has the two-time defending champions on the ropes. NTD's Dave Martin previews the matchup. That and more coming up. The man allegedly responsible for the Orange County church shooting has been charged with hate crimes. This comes after his politically motivated spree killed one and injured five in mid-May. Orange County prosecutors have accused 68-year-old David Wenwei Cho of hate crimes. He allegedly killed one person and wounded five in a shooting at a Taiwanese-American church on May 15th. Orange County Sheriff Don Barnes characterized the shooting as a politically motivated hate incident and specifically targeted the Taiwanese community. Barnes said Cho left notes in Chinese in his car stating he did not believe Taiwan should be independent from China. The Taiwanese Presbyterian Church is known for its support of pro-independence causes. Authorities said Cho opened fire on a lunch gathering. 
Dr. John Chung fought back and was fatally shot. Five others were hospitalized but survived. A visiting pastor pushed the gunman to the floor, then, with the help of other parishioners, hogtied him using an electrical cord. Prosecutors added hate crime enhancements against Cho for each of the five counts of attempted murder. According to court records, Cho could face the death penalty if convicted on all charges. He has not entered a plea. Daniel Hall, NTD News, California. And on a lighter note, every year, families in the U.S. foster and adopt hundreds of thousands of children. But many of them find raising these vulnerable kids challenging and are ill-prepared. One couple in Illinois founded a not-for-profit organization six years ago to help families navigate those challenges. Here's the story. Our family was in a lot of turmoil at the time. Melissa and Jeremy Welch's marriage was tested while raising adopted siblings and their biological daughter. Because of a lot of our own personal structures that we wanted to keep in place that were not melding well with our um, arrangement in the household. A not-for-profit organization, Love Moves Us, saved their marriage. Jason Benson and his wife Cheryl are also adoptive parents living in Illinois. They founded Love Moves Us six years ago. It supports families to transform the lives of foster and adopted children. When the child comes into your home at whatever age they are, that's going to be a major factor. One, two years old, that's, it's going to be a little easier to build that connection. Um, but a child coming into your home at eight, nine, 13, 14, that's much more difficult because now they've had many more years of neglect and trauma and not getting their needs met. And we parent the way that we saw our parents parent us and that's how we learned to parent. And so that's what we do. Um, what I've learned is that oftentimes um, that's not the best parenting skills and tools that we need to enter into this relationship with children who come to us through adoption or foster care. And we need better parenting tools. Love Moves Us teaches parents the skills necessary to meet the needs of those children. The Welches took part in the Trust-Based Relational Intervention, or TBRI, training. It's a tool to care for children who have experienced trauma in their lives. We both see the benefit mm -hmm. of that tool, and yeah. so we both can like sign up for it. We can both get on board with it versus before it was like, but my viewpoint is right. And he'd say, no, my viewpoint is right. And it was like, we just butt heads. Whereas now it's like, okay, what would we do if we were doing TBRI? Love Moves Us hosts monthly gatherings, providing foster and adoptive families with a support community. People who get it, right? Because they're in it um, and they're experiencing it or they have experienced it. And they can then help guide you and give you some answers walking in and there was at least two or three other biracial families mm -hmm. in, in the mix with children about the ages of our kids. Mm -hmm. And so immediately, like you could see it in our kids' faces, like they started scanning the room and their eyes got wider. And then when we left that night, um, our son Russell even said to us like, there's families here that look like ours. And he was yeah. like, I like that. Love Moves Us programs are free of charge for families and are supported by donations and volunteers. Benson hopes more volunteers will join to meet the overwhelming needs nationwide. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Game three of the Stanley Cup Finals is tonight in Tampa Bay, and it's a crucial one for the Lightning, who now trail two games to none. Only three teams have ever come back from a 3-0 deficit in NHL history. Colorado blew out the two-time defending champions 7-0 Saturday night in Game 2. It was just the second time in Tampa Bay goalie Andre Vasilevsky's stellar career that he allowed more than six goals in a game. Meanwhile, the win for the Avalanche moves them to 14-2 in these playoffs. Only four other teams have started 14-2 and all four won the Stanley Cup. The Avalanche may be without injured forward Andre Burakovsky though. Burakovsky was hit in the hand by a shot from Tampa Bay defenseman Victor Hedman in Game 2 and did not return. For the Lightning, first-line center Braden Point will be a game-time decision, said coach John Cooper. Point missed a month with a lower body injury but returned for Games 1 and 2. Game 4 will be Wednesday night in Tampa Bay. In golf, England's Matt Fitzpatrick became the first golfer in six years to get his first PGA Tour victory at the U.S. Open. Fitzpatrick had to hold off 
Will Zalatoris and number one ranked Scotty Scheffler, who both finished just one shot behind to secure the win. For Zalatoris, it was his second straight runner-up finish at a major, and both times he had a chance to win on the final hole. The U.S. Open field featured 15 players who already competed or have pledged to compete in the rival Live Golf League. None of them factored in the win, though, with Dustin Johnson faring the best, finishing tied for 24th with a 4-over score. On to basketball news, The Athletic is reporting that Nets star Kyrie Irving and the team are at an impasse regarding his future in Brooklyn, which could clear the way for him to play elsewhere next season. Irving, who signed with the Nets in 2019 as a $36.5 million player option for next season. This past year, he played in just 29 of a possible 82 games, mainly because his vaccination status prohibited him from playing home games in Brooklyn. Eventually, the Nets relented and had him play in road games before New York City lifted their vaccination ban just prior to the playoffs starting. The Nets were swept in four games in the first round by Irving's former team, the Boston Celtics, who went on to win the Eastern Conference. In swimming news, FINA, which is the international federation recognized by the IOC for holding international competitions, has announced a new gender inclusion policy. In it, the federation will only allow males who transition before the age of 12 to compete in female events. The athlete must prove that they have not experienced male puberty and have continuously maintained their testosterone at an appropriate level. Included in the policy was a proposal for a new open competition category. FINA says they will spend the next six months looking into the most effective way to set up this new category. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And coming up, in the French legislative elections, President Emmanuel Macron and his allies lost their absolute majority in the National Assembly. What does this mean for Macron and his agenda? And in the UK, London railways will be crippled due to strikes. It's the biggest walkout in the industry in over 30 years. Tensions are high between union leaders and the British government. What are both sides saying? Find out after this short break. In every country communism gains power, authoritarianism and death followed in its wake. Communism promises a world without suffering, and yet, in its execution, does the exact opposite. Following Lenin's death, Stalin's 29-year reign killed an estimated 60 to 66 million people. More famines and purges would occur. The very peasants that communism was supposed to benefit instead starved to death under its rule. The party dictates what is right and wrong. Mao ended up killing between 50 million and 70 million people. As an investigative journalist, I want to understand why. French President Emmanuel Macron lost control of the National Assembly in legislative elections on Sunday. It's a major setback that could throw the country into political paralysis unless he's able to negotiate alliances with other parties. Here's more. In a crushing outcome, French President Emmanuel Macron and his allies on Sunday lost their absolute majority in the National Assembly and with it control of the reform agenda. Initial projections showed Macron's centrist ensemble alliance were still set to end up with the most seats, followed by the left-wing Nupes bloc, headed by the hard-left veteran Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who called the result on Sunday a rout in front of cheering supporters. But Macron and his allies would fall well short of the absolute majority they would need to control Parliament. If confirmed, a hung Parliament would open up a period of political uncertainty that would require a degree of power-sharing among parties not experienced in France in recent decades. In another major change for French politics, Marine Le Pen's far-right Rassemblement National Party could 
win as much as 100 seats. The initial projection showed its biggest score on record. Le Pen said she wants to unite all patriots, including those on left. The new faces that you will discover, faces beaming with enthusiasm and life, are the vanguard of this new political elite that will take responsibility for the country when the Macron adventure comes to an end. Beyond the parliamentary group, we will pursue this work of bringing together the French people within a big popular movement, unifying all the patriots on both the right and the left, a national rally to defend the country in the face of crumbling, which we see every day. Macron's ability to pursue further reform of the Eurozone's second biggest economy would hinge on his ability to rally moderates outside of his alliance on the right and left behind his legislative agenda. And there was a tangible sense of shock in France as people woke this morning to an unprecedented political reality. NTD's Eddie Aitken brings us those details. French Prime Minister conceded that the coalition her party belongs to no longer held the majority in the French National Assembly. Mesdames et Messieurs, Ladies and gentlemen, my dear compatriots, this evening's situation is unprecedented. Never before has the National Assembly experienced such a configuration under the Fifth Republic. This situation constitutes a risk for our country in view of the challenges we have to face, both nationally and internationally. Elizabeth Bourne lamented the result, but added that we must respect this vote and draw the consequences. There's no alternative but gathering to guarantee our country some stability and lead the necessary reforms. Bourne, who won a seat in Western France, suggested Macron's centrist alliance will seek support from lawmakers from diverse political forces to find good compromises. French voters woke up on Monday to a fragmented and polarized political stage. Voters echoed the morning's headlines, warning the country could soon become ungovernable. I was very surprised, very surprised to see the multiple layers that are now represented in the National Assembly. So a country that is going to be difficult to govern for at least a year, because I think we will automatically see a dissolution of the Assembly in the months to come. I'm happy that Macron does not have absolute majority. That's what I wanted. This way, he cannot do whatever he wants for the next five years and worsen life, quite simply. Well, yes, I voted for my candidate who supported Emmanuel Macron, because I think a president must have an absolute majority in order to govern. But, well, some people made a different choice. Turnout reached historic lows, with less than half of voters casting a ballot. I don't even know who was running. Maybe if I read about it, maybe I might be interested in it. But it's true that I think the information that comes my way, there's a lot of fake news and a lot of things that I don't understand because I don't follow any of it. And even if I did vote, I wouldn't even know what I was voting for. Eddie Aitken, NTD News. And in the UK, services on railways in the London Underground were crippled, will be crippled from Tuesday due to strikes over pay, jobs and conditions. It's the biggest walkout in the industry for over 30 years. Union leaders have accused the government of inflaming tensions over the rail dispute, while the government has called the strikes disappointing and premature. This report comes from NTD's Malcolm Hudson. The rail strikes this week mean only one in five trains will be running on Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday. More than 40,000 rail workers will be walking out in disputes over work and pay. Rail bosses have said they expect these disputes to turn into a war of attrition, potentially recurring all the way through to Christmas. Talks between the rail unions and rail bosses have so far not seen a resolution. The strikes will affect a number of events, including Glastonbury Festival and London concerts by Elton John and the Rolling Stones as well as school exams. They will also affect work commutes and hospital visits. Speaking to BBC Breakfast on Monday, Treasury Minister Simon Clark said rail passengers should prepare. I, I do think it's important that we send out a message earlier this week that industrial action is likely uh, to proceed and that therefore people should take sensible uh, preparations now because there's no point uh, giving false hope, if you like, that these strikes uh, can be avoided. I think at this stage it is, it is likely that they will proceed. Clark said that the government is asking for the rail industry to reform itself so that it can financially sustain itself. During the pandemic, 
The government committed £16 billion to keep railways running and ensure workers didn't lose their jobs. A Department for Transport spokesperson said the railway is still on life support, with passenger numbers down by 25%. They said anything driving more passengers away risks killing services and jobs. Westminster is planning to change the law so that employers can draft agency workers during strike action. The Trades Union Congress accused the government of pitting worker against worker and inflaming tensions. They said, instead of threatening workers, ministers should be getting people around the table to help agree on a fair deal. The Rail Delivery Group, an industry body, said the industry needs to change its ways of work in order to support itself. The alternatives are to raise taxes to fund the network or to make passengers pay a higher fare, both of which are a big ask when people are feeling the price pinch. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News, London. And in Ukraine, as summer hits the capital of Kyiv, there's some sense of normalcy as people enjoy the beach, cafes and restaurants. But the threat of war still hangs over them, even if they have started to ignore the air raid sirens. Here's a report from NTD's Eddie Aitken. Summer has arrived in Kyiv. On Venice Beach, an inviting stretch of sand on the majestic Dnipro River that courses through the city, the scene looks summery enough. But 19-year-old Valeria, a student of cybersecurity, says the war and the risk of an airstrike are at the back of her mind as she parties with her friends. When we are playing volleyball and we hear the siren, it's really scared. We uh, think a lot of uh, that maybe some bombs uh, can uh, maybe uh, in the sky. Air raid alarms still sound regularly, screeching shrilly on a downloadable phone app. But unlike impounded frontline towns and cities, they are so rarely followed by blasts that few pay them much mind. People kind of disregard uh, sirens and all this kind of stuff because they, they got used to it, I guess, and that's the worst part of it. Cafes and restaurants are open again and people buy flowers from street vendors, providing a semblance of normalcy until everyone scoots home from the 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. curfew. Here in Kiev, yeah, it feels pretty safe, but if you listen to the people, they are totally speaking about their relationships, about sex, and about war issues, like, as always. Bashtovye recently passed his military medical check, meaning he could soon be sent into combat too. With the peace still so fragile and more treasured than ever, many are ploughing their energy, time, money and muscle into supporting the country. More ordinary residents could become soldiers and head to the battlefields. Eddie Aitken, NTD News. And over in China, torrential rains are drenching large swaths of the southern part of the country. Powerful flood currents have so far caused property destruction and even death as the first bout of summer rains reached the peak of their power. Let's look at what's happening. China's flood season is in full swing. Heavy rains are pounding vast tracts of southern China, triggering floods in cities and mudslides in rural areas. Footage from Chinese state media shows streets transformed into overflowing rivers as torrents break fences, submerge bridges, and sweep cars and houses away. Even fire trucks were carried off by floodwaters. Those images were captured in Guangdong province. Also in the southeast, in the neighboring autonomous region of Guangxi, five villagers were killed when a wooden house gave way. The structure had been lashed by torrential rains. That's according to a Chinese state media report on Saturday. Mudslides and a number of road collapses were also reported. The rainfall recorded in some areas has been the heaviest China has seen in 60 years. According to state media outlet Xinhua, torrential rains have affected nearly 275,000 residents as of Friday. And coming up, a diamond footbridge spans a canyon in Georgia hundreds of feet above the ground. It offers a one-of-a-kind but nerve-testing viewing experience. Stay tuned for more after the break. A new glass bridge spans a spectacular canyon in the eastern European country of Georgia. It's become a magnet for tourists from around the world. 
but it takes some courage to step on it. Let's take a look. Stretching across the wild Dash Bash Canyon in southern Georgia, a breathtaking glass footbridge is now officially open. With a diamond-shaped cafe dangling in the center, this 780-foot transparent walkway has a fitting name, the Diamond Bridge. I have to say it's one of the most amazing places I've ever seen in the world. And as a travel blogger, I travel a lot. And the Diamond Bridge, it, I think it will be the most Instagrammable place. It will be all over the internet. It's so beautiful. The bridge sits more than 600 feet above the floor of the canyon, offering a panoramic view of its high cliffs and waterfalls. The tickets are priced at around $1 to start. Visitors are already arriving, treading carefully over the glass panels beneath their feet. It's very unusual, but very scary too. I'm shaking all inside. It's really very high, but the nature is amazing. It's more exciting than scary. It's very beautiful, very nice view on the canyons, and yeah. all, all the way was great with this bridge. For adrenaline junkies, the zipline bike ride is another must-try. It's strong, like it's not going to fall, and I, you feel the bike, you feel this uh, here, you feel everything, and when you, you're looking down, it's... it's I, I, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to say. It's amazing. Construction of the project began in 2019. It received an investment of about $39 million from the Israeli company Castland and their aim to offer visitors a different but safe ecotourism area. The idea to realize this challenging and beautiful project came because since 2014, in the world, there has been an increased interest toward ecotourism. And since 2019 in Georgia, there has also been an increased demand towards wilderness areas. This was an inspiration to realize this beautiful project. Local tourist officials say they are tapping into a growing market as people hunt for destinations in the wilderness. Israel's largest tourism company, the Ista Group, hopes the bridge will attract more visitors to the site. This is one of the most spectacular resorts that we've ever built. I mean, as part of the Ista Group with a great partnership of the Georgians, Israelis, and it's coming for the benefit of tourists that will come from all over corners of the world. According to Castland, they offer tours to more attractions in the canyon, as well as villas and hotels, among other amenities. A stunning outlook. There really is so much beauty in the world. Well, that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.